HN Podcast with Miller and Dace. Happy Independence Day to many of you, as you'll be hearing this oh, the days leading up to Independence Day. And uh, be safe out there. I'm, I'm not. Are you? Are you a fireworks fan? Like when I say fireworks, I don't mean like going and watching them someplace. I mean like in your neighborhood, like lighting them off myself. Yeah, in your kids. Not really. Yeah, I hate them. I freaking hate them. I, mean, I don't hate them. I don't like. Per- I, I did. I, I did that my whole life. My little brother's born on the 4th of July. So I got my fill of that growing up. It's kind of lost its luster for me. So yeah. not really. Yeah, I don't like parades. And I don't like fireworks in my neighborhood. Um, got a sprinkler got a sprinkler shard in my eye as a kid. Had to wear a patch for a while. That was pretty cool. Um, and then you have babies. People were waking them up. And you got the dog barking. Just don't like him. So I figure I'd start. Get to, off my lawn. Yeah, that's it. I, I'm, I'm angry. Angry old man podcast tonight. There we go. Hey, uh, you and I. Welcome to, uh, to Grand Torino. I'm Clint Eastwood. How are you? Yeah, yes. exactly. Exactly. Um, if you and I love one thing, it is pontificating about possibilities pursuant to college football conference expansion. Um, and, and hopefully you appreciate the alliteration there. Um, you shared an article with me this week from a website called uh, Saturdays Down South, primarily uh, an SEC-related blog, and I, I'm familiar with it. I've read it before, um, and, and their take was was interesting. It was titled "Cable TV is Dead." That's why the next round of college football realignment could look more like the NFL, and that got my attention. And as as I read through it and kind of picked up the gist before they went and, and talked about, you know, proposed new divisions. There, there were some things that stood out to me that, that weren't really stretches, that weren't necessarily out there opinions, but I, I think things that are fact. And we've talked about many of them. But in quoting the article, you know, as, as we get near to the, you know, 2024, I mean, maybe the first round of the college football realignment apocalypse, that's when you have, you know, the Big Ten contract is, is going to be up 2023, 2024. They signed this one for six years. Um, and, and that date, that date range kind of raised a few eyebrows. But, you know, we're, we're entering into a totally different world, a world where cord cutting the speed and rate of it is only going to accelerate, not decline. The cable bundle model, as we've known it, m- our entire adult lives and basically ever since cable tv was invented back in the late 70s when we were kids that model is it's it's basically a dead man walking and we all know that um the article points out a, a Stuart mandel comment basically saying the future in an audience driven sport the games are going to be about quality and and not quantity and this was interesting streamers streamer streaming providers will want it schools will need it to get fans in the stadium those fickle students with their smartphones showing up late leaving early or not showing up for games at all they're your audience in 10 to 20 years from now and i thought that was a really interesting point to really set things up and basically talking about scheduling and how you know Alabama is not going to be able to get by with playing three of its seven home games against the likes of Fresno State's and Colorado State's and Mercer's, and strength of schedule is going to be reevaluated. Um, 
you can pick it up from here. I, I thought it was a really interesting article, and I think it made a lot of really good points, and, and some of those we're going to expand upon more. Did you think it was off the rails at all? I think it's a little too um, SEC, maybe is the best way I would put it. Uh, I think the analysis of the environment is correct. Um, and it will lead to some changes. But I don't know necessarily that it will lead to the draconian level of change that the author indicates. Because <clears throat> um, while you may not be able to get 97,000 fans at Bryant-Denny Stadium to watch Alabama and, Mercer's, and, and Murray State, you will get to get you will probably get five to ten million people to stream it online for five bucks. Right. Um, and I think what's what's inherent. The re, let me use another sport as an analogy. The, the reason why everybody agrees there's too many baseball games, but they'll never cut back on the season, is because the pursuit of individual excellence in baseball matters more in that sport than any other American team sport. It's at, it's at least on par with what the team accomplishments are. And no one remembers who led the NBA in rebounding two years ago, let alone in 1987. Plenty of guys remember, though, who led the majors in home runs in 2002, uh, who's the all-time home run king. Um because the pursuit of those individual accolades in Major League Baseball are on are on a parallel track of excellence in the in in the zeitgeist of the sport and the mindset of the fan base, as is the excellence of, from an, from a team accomplishment standpoint. And in college in college football, there is a built-in expectation along those lines. There there's just a built-in expectation from the fan base that. If, if we're not going to have nine and seven teams win the national championship, we're, we're not going to have three and four lost teams win the national championship. That the regular season, the premium on the regular season matters a lot. That these games in and of themselves during the year become de facto playoff games is part of, just as the individual accolades are part of the zeitgeist of baseball. So is that part of the zeitgeist of, of college football. <clears throat> Pardon me. It is its brand. It really is the brand of college football. Um, and it's why uh, it, it's it's why even a lot of non-conference games for top programs in college basketball are not sold out. But every football game for every college football team is, regardless of the opponent. Uh, and it's because of the premium that's played season there's only so many games the thing that the writer of the story and you would think give it from the sec where they have places like the grove at old miss and night games at death valley the the once a week experience where these become many class reunions many family reunions and and you know there's only six to eight of these a year depending on how many home games are on the schedule this sport's never going to lose that john no matter what the evolution is um, within the broadcasting industry, those are things that are inherent trademarks of college football. And that's why I think the author of this piece, while he has correctly diagnosed the situation, I think he takes it too far. 
Um, you know, every younger generation has has wanted things done differently than the older generation. And this was true. You know, television was was going to make it that people didn't want to go to games anymore. And that's not the case. Um, and so, you know, if, if this same article could have been written when the NCA restrictions, antitrust restrictions on, te- on how many games could be televised were lifted in 1979. And the College Football Association came in, I think it was 80 or 81, and ESPN began greatly expanding its games, and USA Network carried games. And in the, in the mid-80s, actually, TBS and TNT had a better package than ESPN did. And they had Big Ten all over the country. They had the, some of the top games in the country on cable. And I'm sure this, art, I'm sure this article was written then at blogs back then. I'm sure it was written in Athlons and Lindy's and Street and Smith's College Football in 1981 and 82 that... Well, this generation is just used to having 50 and 100 channels and a remote control. They're not going to come to games anymore. And that's not true. So the same will be not true either. Those millennials on their smartphones, yeah, they're doing that now. But in 20 years, they're going to have families. In 20 years, they're going to have classmates. They're going to want to get together and see. And that's where that – and you can't – you can only you, – you can't – you can only emulate that in your basement with people for so long it's not the same as actually being there and that's part and parcel of the tradition of college football that's never going to go away any more than people caring who leads the league in home runs and batting average and who in era is ever going to go away in major league baseball either okay Uh, let me let me see those points to you let me see that Okay, yes, people are going to want to get together on those seven sacred Saturdays. You know, there's only there's only a few of them, and people are still going to tune in in droves to watch their, their teams play. But, but let me add this, and, and all those things might have been true in previous generations of predicting the demise or downfall of this, that, or the other. But what we're talking about right now is in a – and a, a ridiculous amount of money. What was it last week? I think I, I saw some Michigan Post on some fifty-one the, million dollars. Yes, yeah, fifty-one million dollars per Big Ten school per year, with, with the exception of you know Rutgers and Maryland, who are not full partners yet. Fifty-one million. Iowa is going to get fifty-one million. Michigan, you know, the original Big Ten schools plus Penn State and, and Nebraska is probably going to be in there here shortly as well. Fifty-one million dollars through their 2023 contract. I don't know that $51 million a year is going to be there in 2024. I, you know, as we've talked quite a bit about cord cutting on this podcast, and a lot of other people have written about it and talked about it as well. Yeah, I mean, I could see the negotiations with Fox and ESPN or some others and say, yeah, you know what, Big Ten, you guys, you draw great numbers. Millions and millions of people watch your games on television. You have more living alumni than any other conference in the country. Your games have value, and we want to partake in that. But the market is no longer what it used to be. We paid too much money for it in the past to the point where it crippled us and caused us to reduce staff and, and layoffs and this, that, or the other. We still want your games, but being that the economics of the industry and genre have changed um, due to cord cutting and things of that nature, we're not going to pay you $51 million a year. Now, maybe Netflix 
or Google or via YouTube or, or somebody else is willing to pay that type of money to stream it. I don't know. I just wonder if we're not seeing the peak of the golden goose's waning years and the economics may be adjusted and they may be adjusted down. And if that happens, another aspect of what this guy wrote in this article saying that, you know, um, athletic departments are facing budget cuts. Coaching tennis becomes a five figure profession. Maybe it should have been anyway. Facilities age and won't be able to be replenished the way they have been in this golden era of, you know, the golden goose. Players eat meals with common students, you know, which is probably tongue-in-cheek. But you, you may not have that cash cow to the level that you've had it. And everything you said before, I can say, yeah, sure, I'll give you that. But I'm really curious as to what the economics are going to be six years from now. And if the Big Ten is going to continue to be able to pay each school $51 million, how is that going to look? Is it going to be primarily through the the Big Ten Network digital subscription, which I think they can pull something like that off, partly. Uh, That's the part right now that's really, really fascinating to me because I I think you and I both agree the Big 12 is not likely to be around much beyond the ending of their Tier 1 rights, which I think is 2025. The Pac-12 is in financial trouble. Um, you know, the Big Ten and the SEC are in good positions. The ACC network, which still has yet to be completed, uh, it's not a good time to try to be starting your own network right about now. I just wonder what that economic commitment's going to be six to seven years from now. Well, the one – I don't disagree with everything in the article. That's why I sent it to you. I, I think he takes it too much to the an extreme. Like, like, you know, he's got conferences broken down to Big North, Southeast, Southwest, West. That's never going to happen. Never. Way too much money, cachet in the brands of these conferences, traditions, histories. Those are never going to be forsaken. You can change the rosters all you want, but they're never going to change the brand. That's that's never going to happen. Uh, there's just too much history and legacy in all those brands that are, again, part of the zeitgeist and the, and the product of college football. Um, but what he does say, I, I do that I do think there's some merit to, and I say this, it goes against something that I've been predicting for a while that we're gonna that we're gonna get to. I do think he makes a good point that this model will take us to four conferences, but the likelihood of four sixteen team conferences, and does that further dilute what it is you're doing uh, from a from a branding standpoint? I think that is possible. Now, where this where that where that would not matter is if you are going through Netflix, YouTube, Amazon Prime, Hulu, which I think absolutely you're going to see more. In fact, you just heard Roger Roger Goodell, commissioner of the NFL, just said this past week that that's the future of their sport. That's the future of how, uh, in terms of a distribution. I, I don't have any doubt about that. I'm not sure it'll be the exclusive future. You know, you and I remember... Um, you know all the articles in the 80s and 90s that we would all watch Super Bowls on pay-per-view. Remember that? Yeah. That, that was that's and that was going to happen. And you know we ended up getting some pay-per-view. You know you used to have to do the pay-per-view of the pay-per-view of the college game plan on ESPN if you wanted the extra games or the March Madness package if you wanted the NCAA tournament games out of your area. Oh, I forgot we, about that. Yeah. Yeah, we did that. We did that for a while, and then the advent of the the expansion of digital networks. And, and those new networks now bundled together needing inventory to, to try because they, they could not sell enough 
commercial volume for every individual channel. So, you know, the 19 channels that, you know, CBS is parent company owns needs inventory. So you buy ads for to watch the NSA tournament on true network. And then you get, you know, uh, as, as a value added ads on all the other CBS owned networks that they can't sell on their own. And so that's why the pay-per-view models went away. I think we will see those digitization networks and you'll see YouTube and Hulu and Amazon Prime and Netflix get involved. But what is far more likely to happen is I think you'll see these networks become more regionalized. I, I think ESPN's influence will wane. I do not believe television sports influence will wane. What I mean by that is ESPN's ability to single-handedly guide, direct, and fund this and fund college football. Um, essentially, what ESPN's role has been in the last decade in college football. If this were a movie, they, they're, they're the producer, meaning they're the one who comes up with the resources to make the movie possible. They're the director. They're the ones that do a lot of the scheduling and when the games are played and, and create these non-conference matchups and things of that nature or moving, uh, backloading conference games at the end of the year so that during November sweeps they have the best matchups. Um, and, and then they're, then, then they're – uh, the TMZ, the Variety, the Hollywood Reporter, they're the media aspect of it uh, in that um, they also then cover the very events which they help to galvanize, produce, and, and organize. That's going to go away. I think you will see Fox, which has hired a buku amount of talent away from ESPN. I think that they will essentially become the Big Ten and then whatever becomes of the Pac-12, Big 12, whether those, whether the whether the Big 12 teams like Texas and Oklahoma, one goes to the AC or one goes to the SEC, one goes to the Big 10, or you may see Fox step in and try and get those the best in those conferences to merge, to essentially create a Pac-16, Texas, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and one more school go with them. Uh, to the Pac-12 in order to save it, because you're right. The Pac-12, in fact, financially, in what it's distributing, is in worse shape um, than uh, the uh, than the Big 12. It's just it has a better business model, but in terms of the actual revenues, it's behind the Big 12 right now. I could see Fox stepping in and trying to play matchmaker and maybe merging those two conferences. Uh, but I, but but ultimately, I think ESPN's power will wane. And already is waning and will wane tremendously over the sport. I think you'll likely see the college football playoff go off ESPN in the next round and go back to network television, for example. So I think that's the difference. I think that's where we're going to see the biggest difference is we're not going to see four or five guys in, in on that massive sweeping campus there in Bristol, Connecticut, determining what the sport looks like for all 130, 40 uh, teams in college football. I think that's what will be different. That will be the biggest change of them all. And I think you'll just see more, um, uh, you know, subsidiarity. I think you'll see some streaming and there'll be some big money in there. But I don't think Michigan and Ohio State or Alabama, Auburn or Army Navy is going to be on Amazon Prime. I think those are always going to be on major networks. But I think you will see I, I think you will see some streaming like that for additional revenue. Um, and then I think you'll see other networks play pivotal roles. Um, uh, and, and I think CBS will take more of a, of a of, well, CBS and the SEC will solidify that relationship. I think you'll see the Big Ten and, and Fox essentially become corporate partners. Uh, all the way full-fledged, more than they are now. And maybe you'll see Fox step in and try and merge the Big 12 and the Pac-12 
into some form of a conference. Maybe we won't get the four 16-team super conferences. But this idea that just, you know, the top 30, 40 schools are only going to play each other and we end up, you know, with, you know, four and five lost teams winning the national championship, that's not college football. And I don't think that's ever going to happen. Yeah, that, that definitely was the radical part of this article that I, I didn't, I couldn't see playing out. Like you mentioned, they, you know, four conference, 32 team leagues, the big North, they had Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota, and Notre Dame. And I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to that, but I just don't see it. Um, the, South, the Southwest, Alabama, Auburn, LSU, Arkansas, A&M, Kentucky, Old Miss. No, I agree. That, that, that is far too radical. And you make a really good point about the history aspect and how much it does matter to college football and somewhat similar to how it matters to um, Major League Baseball. So good points. Um, let's move on to um, something else that you uh, had sent on to me. It was a tweet by the uh, mouthpiece of the SEC, Paul Feinbaum. And this sort of reads like something that you would have in, in your preview, actually, a, a question that you would bring up and, and ask people only to only to underscore how amazing some of these things are. And, and the thing that Feinbaum tweeted out was, which trends will be broken in the 2017 college football season? And, and here are some of them. And I'll go each one one by one, and, and you can comment on it. Uh, Texas, trend to break. They've had one AP top 25 finish in seven seasons. Mm-hmm. That, I, I wouldn't have believed it if, if someone would have, if, if you would have asked me how many times have they finished the top 25 the last seven years, I might have said two or three. You know, thinking back on it, yeah, okay, I can see one. But when you look at the history of their program, uh, maybe they've had longer gaps, but that's a huge gap for them. I agree. I, I I think this one is a metaphysical certitude that that this trend will get broken. And something I know our audience is going to get sick of hearing me say between now and September 2nd. But throughout Tom Herman's coaching career as an offensive coordinator and a head coach, the average improvement from from the year prior to his first year at each of these schools, Iowa State, Ohio State, and then Houston – was 4.3 wins a season. That's the average. And when you look at the situation he is walking into is so eerily similar. I won't rehash it. We did it last week. But it is so eerily similar to what Harbaugh walked into at Michigan. The, 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 the two schools culturally, Michigan and Texas, are almost exactly the same. Um, you know, Michigan had gone through a decade of averaging about seven wins and it's just and, and and the previous two recruiting classes under the other coach were highly ranked, just poorly developed, poorly led program. It, it's just eerily similar. And I think he will take the Big 12 by storm this year. And I think this streak will definitely be snapped. Yeah, I was just looking uh, at their history. They had um, from 1984 through 87. Or sorry, sorry, 1984 through 1990 uh, or 89, rather, they didn't make it. So that's that's very that would be the other biggest route. But that was that's pretty crazy. Now Miami, the Hurricanes, they've never reached the ACC title game. Were you surprised by that? No, no, because I knew that trend. Um, I mean, listen, you should be surprised by that. I just wasn't because. 
I do this preview every year. So I, I was aware of that trend. The Texas trend I was not aware of, but the Miami trend I was. Okay, I'm going to need to rephrase some of these questions then because I'm, I need to remember who I'm talking to. Um, <laughs> so asking you if you're surprised by some of these obscure things, probably not the right angle to take. There are, there are several on here I was surprised by. We okay. just did one. Okay. We'll do a few more here to come. Right. Yes, uh, Georgia. He has a Georgia trend. The last SEC title came in 2005. Now, you're probably not surprised by that because you can probably name every SEC champion since then. But for a school of Georgia's stature, that would seem like it's too long of a drought. Agreed. And, by the way, I do think Miami is going to reach the ACC title game this year. I think they'll snap that streak. Georgia's last SEC title, Mark Rick was the coach. I think David Green, remember him, the lefty quarterback dad in the 2000s. I think he was under center. Um, ended up, I think, becoming the first SEC quarterback to win 50 games in his career. And then Tim Tebow came along a few years later and uh, and, and eclipsed Tim. I don't know if Georgia can get it done this year. Uh, now, when I did my roster foundations, the problem is they go up against Alabama, you're going to drive down and pass them. That's Alabama game. Just really hard to beat them, playing them the same way that, that they play when they recruit better players to play that. So likely that Georgia streak will continue. Okay. Um, Toledo, not necessarily a team that we talk about a lot here, but uh, I was surprised to see this. This was the biggest shocker on the list to me. Was yeah. This one. The last MAC title game appearance came in 2004, and I would have lost money if you would have said, "Hey, um, over under on that." I, that that's that's like 14 years. I might have lost money if you'd have told me they haven't been there, that that they weren't even there since 2014. I mean, that's, this, this is pretty much the top program in the MAC from a per- perception standpoint. So I'm stunned. I think this streak definitely ends. Logan Whiteside back at quarterback. Led the nation in touchdown passes a year ago. Um, I, I think they easily have the best team in the MAC. I, I could see them vying for that um, group of six berth in the New York New York New Year's Six bowl game this year. So I think Toledo does snap that streak and gets to the MAC championship game and wins it. Uh, NC State one AP top twenty-five finish in fourteen seasons now. NC State is not a historical college football juggernaut, but I probably would have lost money on that one. I would have thought it would have been at least more than one. Yeah, they're not. You know, I mean, they're they're a team that, um, you know, Lou Holtz built them into an okay program and then parlayed that into the Arkansas job. And other than that, you got to go back to the, the mid-'80s. Dick Sheridan kind of established them as a program and – um, they had guys like uh, Eric Kramer, the old Lions and Bears quarterback under center. He made them a, a team that was actually competing with Clemson in the ACC in the late 80s. Uh, they were still going to bowl games well into the 90s. Um, you know, you think of the Phillip Rivers, Russell Wilson teams. Those were top 25 caliber teams. Uh, Phillip Rivers had NC State teams that uh, were even ranked at, at times in the top 10 or top 15. But they've never been consistently able to get back there since that era ended a lot of people think that this is the best team they have ryan finley coming back at quarterback a lot of people talk that he might be a pro prospect one of the best defensive lines in the country led by bradley chubb they should have beaten clemson last year 
they finished the year very strong, beating their in-state rival, really just naming the score against them um, on the road. And, and they owned um, a North Carolina team whose quarterback was the number two pick in the NFL draft. So the schedule's not easy, but I'm going to say that they snapped this streak and do finish in the top 25. Now this next one is kind of not surprising, but still kind of surprising because we're talking about 31 seasons. Kentucky has lost five or more games every year since 1985. Wow. Uh, when have they been that good? They were okay when Tim Couch was there. Yeah, that one year, that one crazy year in 2006 when LSU won the national title with two losses and like five or six different teams were ranked number one that year. And and LSU's first loss um, as the number one squad, LSU's first loss was to Kentucky, you'll recall. And then they lost and I didn't that Kentucky team, which was in the, in the top 25 a lot of the year. I guess they lost five games, too, huh? Wow. Um, yeah, I, I, they have a pretty good season for them, right? So I'm going to say that they, they, they lose at least five games again, which is an amazing streak for that to continue. Yeah, that, that is a ridiculous streak. Um, Arkansas, they last finished in the AP Top 25 in 2011. I was surprised by that, um, even though we knew that you know Brett Bielema struggled getting out of the gates there. Um, I would have thought they would have had at least one in the last, what is that, six seasons now? You think yeah. that streak uh, snaps this year? I don't, no. I think this is going to continue. I think the problem he has there is he doesn't have a hook. Um, Pro-style offense in a league where he's going to, even if he recruits well, he can have a top 25, 30 class. The problem is it's it's probably in his own conference. And I, I just think the reason why Arkansas was, was up there in 2010 – 2011, you know, they had um, the air raid offense there with Bobby Petrino and Ryan Mallett and those guys, and they're throwing the ball all over the field. They create a matchup problem. Arkansas doesn't do that. Um, and, and so I don't know I don't know what the hitch is. Even And for Bielema in the Big Ten, he, his, his niche was his persona. But, but <laughs> charisma... Up uh, fu personas, uh, you know, in the SEC are a dime a dozen. Uh, it doesn't, you know. I mean, you, you're not you don't stand out in that league being that way. You, you, and now you wouldn't stand out that way in the Big Ten now with Urban Meyer, James Franklin, and Jim Harbaugh and those guys. And remember who did when when Urban Meyer came into the league? Who was the guy he clashed with all the time? Brett Bielema, because Bielema was kind of that fu guy in the league. Um, in the SEC, you know. M- Mississippi State has an FU guy. Everybody has one. I, it's just you know, I don't know. I don't know what his niche is. I, to me, they just seem kind of doomed to never suck because he's a really good coach. But I don't see them getting more than eight wins in a in a season ever either because of the schedule they have to play and and the style that they play. So I think this streak will continue, John. Um, I don't really care about Middle Tennessee State other than it says their last conference title came in 2006. Okay. Um, other, the last the last one, Iowa State, last winning season came in 2009. Now, I know you're not surprised by that, 
but do you think that streak gets broken this year? Interesting team to me because offensively, I think they will be really good in an offensive league. I have no no idea how good they will be defensively. And it's a league you don't have to be that good defensively, but you've at least got to be able to break serve a couple times. Otherwise, you end up losing every game, every set 6-4. And that happened to Iowa State quite a bit last year. I think it's possible for them to sweep the non-conference. Uh, they have a road game at Akron, back-to-back home games with Northern Iowa and Iowa State. And that Northern Iowa game, if you're an Iowa State fan, you're just asking yourself, why do they keep scheduling that? Okay. But I think it's I think it's I think this is the most possible them sweeping the non conference has been since early on in the Paul Rhodes era, which would take you back to two thousand and nine, for example, um, the last time they had a, a, a winning record. The problem I think they have is I think the top of the Big Twelve this year is better than it has been in several years. I think Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Kansas State, and Texas are all going to be top 25 teams, maybe better. Um, So I think those are four teams right now where I think that's an L uh, right now. Uh, So um, that gives you that seven of your 12 games. You've got Baylor and their programs on the way down, and they're totally changing systems from Art Bryles, Air Raid, Matt Rule coming in from Temple, and he's more of a a physical pro-style coach. He wants to play football more like Stanford does, which I think will be good in the Big 12 because not everybody, nobody else plays that way. But I think it'll take a year or two to transition to that. Problem is that game is on the road for Iowa State. So, um, uh, but and that's a winnable game. Kansas, obviously, you think they're going to win. Texas Tech is a winnable game. But, man, they just opened a can on those guys last year. You know Texas is embarrassed getting beat like that by Iowa State, and that game is in Lubbock. So that's the that's the issue I have with Iowa State's schedule is I see two teams that I think talent-wise in the league they could definitely beat in Baylor and Texas Tech, but both of those games are on the road. So I'm, I, I think the best they could possibly do is six. So I'm going to say this streak will continue. Last thing in the docket, um, saw something interesting on uh, Reddit's college football Twitter feed um, last week. They, ba- they they projected the final Big Ten standings based on the Las Vegas over-under win totals. And so they Iowa's was seven, and this, uh, you know Northwestern's was eight and a half. So they're basically saying when Iowa and Northwestern play, they gave Northwestern a win because Northwestern had a higher over-under win total than Iowa. And they projected the schedules all the way out using those over-unders as the determining factor in who to get a win or loss from. And I sent that over to you. And, and, I mean, it's hardly scientific because if you play a weak schedule, um, you're probably going to look a lot better here. But in the Big Ten West, they had Wisconsin going 12 and 0. Their over under is 10 and a half. Northwestern's over under was 8 and a half, and they had them going 10 and 2, which tells me that they might have a favorable schedule. We know that Wisconsin does. Mm-hmm. Minnesota at 9 and 3, and their over under was 7 and a half. Iowa going 6 and 6, their over under was 7. Nebraska going 4 and 8. And their under over under was seven. And you remember when we did the over unders a couple of weeks ago? We were surprised at how low 
Nebraska's was from Vegas mm-hmm. Insider. Um, then over on the other side, the Big Ten East, Ohio State also going 12-0. and That would be a, a, a pretty heady um, Big Ten championship game if two teams were 12-0. and Penn State 11-1. and Michigan 9-3. and uh, And then Michigan State, whose over-under was 5 had them going three and nine. What do you what do you, what do you what do you think of that type of uh, comparison? It's not really analysis; it's more just numbers. But I don't know. I guess I found it interesting for uh, a third week of June. Well, I thought it was really intriguing. So props to who came up with it. And it's one of those things that's so simplistic. I can't believe I've never thought <laughs> of this myself, or no one else has. Right. When I without I, I'm. All of my predictions for this season are now done for my preview. And I'm just now, it's just now a matter of writing everything out. And I've got it about three quarters of the way done now. Um, maybe two thirds actually might be more accurate. So when I look at this, um, it's funny, spoiler alert, they have Indiana with the exact same record that I do. And I thought I was kind of going out on a limb. Um, I think uh, when I see these two numbers for Michigan State and Nebraska, uh, that tells me if that goes down, those two jobs will be open in early December. Uh, you, can, you're not, you can't have the offseason D'Antonio had and, and go 6-18. and 18. Uh, You're done. Uh, the, the time to move on. Here's your gold watch. Appreciate what you've done here, but uh, we'll be moving on. And Nebraska right. – if you're four and eight with a coach in his sixties that really isn't local and has no connection to the area anyway, same thing will be happening there. Um, I mean, I don't think Purdue will go winless. They're, they have the worst roster probably in the conference, but I think they have a coach with a hook in his air raid offense that I think will sneak up on one or two teams. I think Illinois' record's about right. I think Iowa's record's about right. Minnesota is a little high to me. Um, I'm bullish on Northwestern, maybe not quite that much. Um, I think Wisconsin, just as every – I said this last week, we all thought they were done last year with the schedule. I think we're all underrating the schedule this year. I think we're all giving them extra wins as, as almost an overreaction to how we overreacted to the schedule they played last year. Rutgers looks about right to me. I think DJ Durkin's got way too much energy, has recruited way too well. They're going to be much better than 2-10. Sparty, I don't know what to think. Um, I, I, I can't believe they'll be that bad again, John, but – there ain't a lot of games on that schedule where you can now say, talent-wise, they are better than the other team. I think there's a lot of swing games on their schedule, and when they had the, the character and chemistry of that program down pat, well, then that's a 10 or 11 win schedule because, you know, they're going to be on the right side of that 21-17 to 17 score more, more times than not. I don't know that that's the case now, so I really don't know what to think of them. I told you I thought I think the same thing of Indiana. The top three teams, I don't think that's far-fetched in the East. I, I could see them finishing that way. I don't think that's ridiculous whatsoever. I'm not sure Penn State defensively is dynamic enough to go 11-1, and one, even with a very favorable schedule. But if I'm wrong about that, if those three teams finish that way, or flip it around, you know, I mean, you know, I, I, that, would, that, would that surprise you if that's the way the first three teams, the Big Ten East, look at the end of the year? It wouldn't surprise me. No, wouldn't surprise me. wouldn't surprise me at all. Not at all. 
I think that um, this is definitely something worth going back and, and looking at at the end of the year. And I've, I, I have my tweets broke up, my tweet deck. I have a predictions column where I save a lot of these things now, so it makes it easy for us to go back and look at these things. But yeah, we'll see if uh, if simplicity is the way. So, uh, what coming up in a few weeks? We ought to start diving into your preview then, right? Yeah, what I thought we might do. Um are we doing this next week? I wasn't sure or not with the holiday. Are we doing it next week? Um, to, to be determined. To be determined. Yeah. Because I do have my crystal ball done. And I know you like to do a separate podcast. Oh, yeah. Tradition with just that before we do the preview as a whole. So I do have the crystal ball done. So we could do that next week or the week after, whichever you prefer. Okay. Maybe we can uh, sneak that in some some evening this week just to have it in the can for the weekend. But uh, looking forward to that. All right, that'll wrap up this installment of the HN Podcast. For Steve, I'm John. Thank you for listening.